You're listening to the Black Eagles podcast with Sinan Schwarting and Khan Bayazit. Welcome back, everybody. Besiktas International's The Black Eagles podcast is back. A little late. Sorry for the delay, as always. Uh, there's always, you know, organizational issues dealing with the uh, various time zones and whatnot. But anyway, we are back. And we have uh, just a bit of time before our next, uh, our next episode. Now, remember, we're off because of the international break. So... That probably has something to do with the delay. But uh, before we even get started, I want to say stay tuned because we have some very important episodes incoming. And specifically, the transfer one that we've been promising. We've condensed it into one big special episode. But anyway, uh, let me allow somebody else to introduce that. First of all, we've got everyone's favorite co-host in from Belgium, Khan Bayazid, everyone. How you doing, Khan? Thank you, thank you, thank you for your warm applause and welcome. Yeah, and before I let you steal the mic to introduce that important episode, uh, we have another special guest here today, your other favorite co-host, Kartal Oer is here, everyone! How you doing? Thank you very much, guys. It's an absolute honor to be on the show yet again. And uh, take that, Evron, you're no longer a third favorite, or yes, <laughs> yeah, whatever yeah, the pecking order is. Yeah, yeah, he has better things to do, like play football, yeah, ladi dadi. Exactly. Go to bed at ten o'clock so he can wake oh. up like a responsible well, kid. Hey, hey, don't don't knock no. that. No, I, no, I would be doing that if I wasn't so busy right now. <laughs> That's the thing is, like, I, I've been so busy for so many years that the the notion of even like being eight, like ten o'clock is when my work starts. Like you know, after you have a kid. <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah, uh, that, that is so true. That's like. I've been, um, I'm actually really happy that school just started again, because now I can actually do stuff during the day, um, instead of having to, you know, play with, well, not that I don't enjoy playing with my son all day, and I'm spending time with him, obviously I do, but you can't really get anything productive done. Yeah, it doesn't pay the bills, uh, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I can't I can actually go and interview someone when my kid's sitting next to me, making noise and playing with his Transformers and stuff, exactly. you know, so... Exactly. <laughs> So very, very well timed that school starts again because I had a super duper busy week. Um, 16 plus interviews. Uh, I'm more than halfway through right now. And as uh, Sinan already alluded to, we are going to have a couple of big episodes coming up. Uh, the first one of which that will be dropping this weekend. I'm doing the final touches on that tomorrow. Um, is going to be our, our big transfer episode. So I finally managed to find and track someone down who can tell us a little bit more about Victor Ruiz even though we've already seen him hey, play for three um, So yeah, got the Victor Ruiz recording in. Re- I already had a recording for uh, 
George Kevin Nunkuru last week, spoke to Muhammad Ali. Uh, many of you will probably know him from Twitter. He's an English journalist that covers Olympique de Marseille. So he's an expert uh, on Marseille and nice. he told us, he told us, main, I was mainly what you will notice in these interviews is that I went back to find experts on people that could tell us about the players when they were in their prime so to speak um not saying that these players aren't in their primes anymore but obviously Nkudu didn't get much chances at Tottenham so I went to speak to someone who saw him play a lot of games for Marseille yeah. which earned him that transfer to Tottenham did the same thing with Mohamed El Nini spoke to Oliver Zessiger uh, which is a pro who is a professional football scout also works on the football manager games many of you will be big fans of those games I'm sure right. and I, I'm pretty sure some of you do your scouting on those <laughs> games because usually you know it's a some people do it on FIFA but the, the better way the, the, the cool kids do it That's on right. football manager right. uh, and Oliver of course has been working on all football manager on the Swiss league for, for for a couple of years he's also a professional scout working uh for uh I, i'm not sure if i'm allowed to say which club but he works for a club in switzerland too um, so yeah. <laughs> so anyway um yeah he's he told us everything we needed to know about mohammed el nini and you know what i came out of that episode feeling really good about that transfer so that's a good thing uh say same thing really about nakudu all of you know i didn't really feel it but uh what what mohammed told us I felt a little bit better afterwards. Not saying that I think he's worth the five million investment we made. Obviously, I'm not saying that he's not worth five million, but it's it's all from our perspective. Is a player worth five million? You know, that's that's a difficult thing for Bishtishin. has a big fee for. And then finally, yeah, Nkudu. And then finally, Abdullah. Uh, Diaby, I'm gonna be speaking to Michael van Varenberg tomorrow. It was a Belgian uh, commentator for Play Sports, and he also works for Sportsa, uh, which is uh, the biggest uh, sports outlet in in in, in Belgium. Basically, uh, it's the uh, they they broadcast the World Cup stuff like that uh, every week. They have the talk show Extra Time. He works on that. I'm a huge fan of Extra Time. It was a great show. So I'll we'll be speaking with Michael tomorrow. So all four of the transfers that we have not yet covered are going to be discussed in that episode. The episode is going to take roughly, I would guess, 70, 80 minutes. I think it's roughly 20 minutes per not player. Bad at all. Um, so that's. Yeah, that's going to drop this weekend. And then next week, we have for you, of course, our traditional European preview, just like you are used to us uh, from last season. Yeah. And again, those are going to be uh, 20 minutes or so segments on each club in the group, including Besiktas. I spoke to Bruno Bataro about Besiktas <laughs> just in order so I wouldn't have to interview myself. That would be a little silly. So, And I wanted to get someone in who is impartial, who can give uh, a neutral view. And that's also so that we can attract some listeners from uh, supporters from the other teams in our group, of course, in the UEFA Europa League. So might as well quickly just give that out. I don't know if we discussed the, the draw already. We were drawn in Group K. Besiktas came out of Pot 1 from Pot 2. Two, we got SC Braga, who of course we remember from the 2010-2011 season. We played them and knocked them out of the Europa League. Yeah, and then from Pot Pot three, unfortunately for us, I think Wolverhampton Wanderers probably the toughest team we could have gotten from pot three. And then from pot four, we got Slovan Bratislava. So, um, yeah, I'm going to have interviews on all four of those teams. That's going to drop next week. We'll also be dropping previews on every single group. 
that involves the Turkish club in Europe, um, Football Ala Turka. So the remaining three European groups, the one in the Champions League with Galatasaray, and the two in uh, the two remaining ones in the Europa League with uh, Trabzonspor. And Başakşehir will be dropping on Football Ala Turka next week too. So please. Be sure to check those out as man, well. That's you are a busy uh, all man, I, <laughs> Just thinking about all these. No, I don't think Damn. I've ever ever worked harder in my life <laughs> than this past week. <laughs> well, the listeners. I hope you listeners are uh, hearing this. Uh, but yeah, no, that's great stuff. Everyone, stay tuned. Um, and boy, yeah, we've we have a good episode today. We we get to talk about some actual transfer activity that we didn't. Uh, talk about uh, that hadn't come out before the last episode and of course we have a big match to discuss uh we were at home against Rizespor. uh yeah perhaps not the best result but we can get into that uh before we start talking about the match does anyone else have anything to say about um you know general podcast material you know that that's I have something to say. I have something to say. You, Sally, you negative little... B- please beat that. I, I will. I will. <laughs> or just cut door, it. Door, door, door. Oh! <laughs> Calling them out. Calling them out. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, the, the reason I said this is because I actually wanted to do a bit of an intro myself. We've try to be as objective as we can you know as uh analysts i think on this on this podcast and i think we i think we've done a fairly decent job of it uh there's a trend online certainly in our group chat but that's a whole other thing that most aren't privy to Uh, but there's a real trend of negativity and of course we can talk about the roots of it i think uh there's a clash of ideology as far as some people thinking Besiktas needs to always be favorites for the title or competing for the title versus those who recognize that rebuilds are a thing that has to happen. Uh, but beyond that, I just think that this episode will probably serve as a foil to that. I don't think anyone here is as negative as that trend has been. Uh, and so I think, you know, for those looking for a little positivity, uh, you know, especially because I think maybe we had a tendency towards negativity in the last season as Chanel Gunesh's uh, master plan dissolved, so to speak. Uh, yeah, I think I speak for all three of us. And, I, and when I say that, you can probably look forward to a little bit more optimism than uh, you've been seeing online most of this week. Yeah, <laughs> uh, But so, yeah, let's let's get into it. Uh, I'm going to, I guess, quickly go over the lineup we came out with and then hand it back to these guys to see what you guys have right, to say sure. about that. So we went, we came out into this match starting Loris Karius in the goal, Kokan Gunul and Jana Erkin on the flanks, uh, Domagos Vida and Ruiz in the middle of the defense, Dorokan Tokus and Ozan played in the back of the midfield with Adem Lijajic in the number 10 role, Jermaine Lenz, and uh, Jermaine Lenz was on the right with Tyler Boyd on the left, and Guven Yaljin starting again. Boys, uh, what are your thoughts on that? You know, going into this match, what were your thoughts? I mean, and also generally, what were your thoughts about Rizespor? You know, did you think this had to be three points? You know, uh, introduce your feelings about this lineup a little bit with, with that. 
in mind. Uh, Khan, you go first, because I'm sure you have something to say. Uh, yeah, I think it was the, the logical lineup to go with, uh, except for, you know, well, you know, you all know how I feel about uh, Guven playing as a lone striker. Uh, I would have preferred to see Umut, uh, because I think he would have... Uh, I'm not saying that he's a more talented player than Guven, but he uh, would fit the system better, I think. He would fit that role better, so I would have preferred him. But apart from that, I think it was uh, all logical, uh, what we saw, um, especially given Janner's performance last week. Uh, and, and he was injured, but then he got back quicker. Uh, and he ended up uh, playing a good game again, so uh, that made sense starting him over Rebocho. Uh, and Gokhan Gunul uh, was, was good in this game, I felt like. Um, he struggled in. Yeah, the... recovered after maybe a bad. Yeah, he yeah. struggled in that first game, but then last week against Gostep, he had a good game too. So, yeah, it was a logical lineup for me. Yeah, Cartel, any any thoughts from so you? So I agree with Khan, I, I believe that Old Five uh, should have been starting instead of Juven Nelson. Just based on the fact that I, I just think that Juven is not suited to that uh, 4 3 2 1 system. Sorry, 4 2 3 1. Uh, I think Juven would be more suited to a 4 4, four 2. Cause he, he just doesn't have the strength to hold up the ball. Uh, so so, so I, if I'm going to play a 4 2 3 1, I think Old Five or Obviously, ideally, Gabura Kilman's playing up there, who's obviously injured just now, so we can't play him. So, I would, I would depend on Nair to play there. But other than that, it was a good lineup. Maybe I would have played in Kuda instead of Lens, but other than that, I thought it was a, it was a, it was a good selection from uh, Abdul Abdul. Considering Jan Ashkin's uh, fantastic performance the week before against uh, uh, Gustafi. Yeah, yeah. And as far as in Kuda goes, I think uh, I'm typically, most will recall from the Chanel Ganesh days, a proponent of getting guys into the lineup ASAP, especially guys who are long-term investments, as Nkudu is. But I also think it's fairly logical to maybe get help him get his legs underneath him, you know, because as we've said, he hasn't gotten a whole lot of action in the last few years. So, uh, you know, obviously we want to see him starting, though. I think we can all agree that at some point in the season we want him to be. And again, I think his pace... I, would, I don't want to spoil anything. We'll get into the to the match itself in a second. Now, uh, quickly before we do that, thoughts on Rize Sport? Did you uh, did you guys think this should have been a guaranteed three points? Um, you know, was this the kind a kind of must win as far as you guys could tell? Uh, who are we starting with here? I'll start if you want. Cartel, yeah, you go, Cartel. Let's go. As a start, I thought we had to win this game. In the, even watching the game, I felt as if. We should we, we should have absolutely destroyed Jesus War on Saturday night. We should have destroyed them. But even though the result was what it was, I see a lot of promise in this team. I see a lot of potential in this team. But I feel as if, uh, as, as Abdullah just said after the game, that we played well. It's just we had a problem putting the ball in the back of the net. And if that problem was solved, this would have been an easy one for us. Because I feel as if, in terms of football, we dominated this game. Yeah. I, yeah, I didn't even, yeah, certainly. And I even felt going into this match, DJ Sport has proven now fairly consistently that they can be a threat, they can be a bit of a menace. They're not an easy three points, maybe even at home uh, at this point. Of course, we all know that playing in DJ is, is a challenge always, but um, yeah, let's get into it. Uh, one thing I will say uh, before we start talking about the match, is that regarding Guven Yelchin, I'm going to agree with both of you guys. I think if 
if we're gonna subscribe to the notion that if it ain't broke, don't fix it, we also have to subscribe to the notion that if it is broke, you should fix it. And if anything, if there's any lesson we've learned uh, from the preseason leading into this now third match of the season, it's that Guven Yeltsin is not functioning as a sole striker or maybe even uh, much at all. And maybe he needs to be loaned and uh, playing against slightly lesser competition at the moment just to build uh, a little confidence in his technique and whatever. But anyhow, before without with all that said, I think what we, what we can agree is that that was not working. So there should not have been much harm, at least, in uh, letting Umut Nair have a shot, especially considering Buraki Omaz is coming back soon. Now we've also got another striker who we have to talk about, uh, sort of half striker, whatever that may be. But uh, yeah, uh, it seems like this could have at least been a last look at Umut Nair. And, you know, at, if worst case scenario, you take him out at the half and put Guven Yeltsin if it really isn't looking good. Yeah. But whatever. That's I don't think you should I think. forget either that, I mean, Resistport did take, a, I believe, a six-point start to the season and won their first two games. So it's not like it was going to be a walkover. Yeah. I personally yeah. kind of expected that we, you know, because they were out a striker, of course, with Mustafa Al-Kabir getting a very unfortunate injury last last week, breaking his leg. Um, I was kind of hoping that we shut them out, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, yeah. yeah, I think we were all kind of expecting a win here cause it's a, it's a home game. I was definitely expecting a more difficult test than Gustepe. So I wasn't too confident about the win because we saw that last week that, that, that striker position was still an issue. And I think with us right now, the position we're in at the moment, if we can get that first goal, I think we're good because organizational wise, defense wise, we're looking really solid. So if, as long as we can get that first goal, I I feel really good about getting three points but the problem is that that's proving to be a challenge let's not forget last week against Gustepe they shut us out for 45 minutes too and we managed to then get that goal in uh, the first minute of stoppage time from the first half and that escalated the match early on in the second half but be up until that point we were having some difficulties so it's just going to be that's going to be our story of the season a little bit I think uh, until Burak is, is fully back and fit getting yeah. that first goal is going to be a little bit of an issue for us or getting goals in general, right? Uh, but so, yeah, that's, that's a good probably segue to, to start talking about this match. Um, I think coming out of the match against Gustafe, we had an incredible second half to that match. So probably we might, you know, or those of us who are analyzing things a little bit more carefully, would hope that that's the kind of form that would carry into this match. And sure enough, I think the first half looked a bit like more of the same uh you know of course we were not scoring goals and there were some sloppy touches here and there but still i think patrick tosh were mostly dominating uh, there wasn't a lot of sort of moments for the you know the official timeline though jarman lands got himself a yellow card in the seventh minute i don't even remember that actually how did that happen you guys recall i can't tell you though <laughs> uh, might have been, been for, indistinct. Might have been for descent or something, because that's uh, something we're seeing a lot uh, this season because yeah, of the guidelines. Refs have gotten that they have to book at least one player when there's complaining. Um, so I don't actually remember what he got a yellow for. Although uh, I don't, but it was Weird. probably stupid. <laughs> something dumb, yeah. Uh, well, but anyway, part, by the way, I mean just generally from. A little bit of a nitpicky yellow card, probably, is what I'm thinking. Yeah, I mean, it definitely wasn't, like, a distinct, like, bad 
nasty tackle or anything sort of malicious, clearly, because we would have remembered that. But anyway, yeah, somehow he got a yellow. Uh, and there wouldn't be anything else uh, on the timeline. Of course, a lot of action, a lot of Besiktas possession. I think at the half, or slightly past the half, I remember seeing Besiktas had like 72%. We'll talk about stats later, too. Uh, but anyway, in the 37th minute, Oljan Chalayan uh, put a, I mean, he got to say, it was a nice finish. Fairly good goal on their end. They caught us cold. Uh, I actually know of Old John because in FIFA like 2014 or something, I, I used to always take like a third division English team and then try to buy young Turks and then develop them into starters. And so he actually became fairly successful in like the Premier League for, I don't know, Plymouth Argyle or something. But. Um, <laughs> Sure enough, yeah, he scored a nice little goal in the 37th minute. But from Besiktas' perspective, there was definitely a lapse. Uh, it came down the right flank. Gokhan Gonul was caught way out of position. Uh, it was a counter, to be fair. So and... if I remember correctly, we had a corner, and it came from that. Is that, is that correct? Not quite, because it was... I think we were building up. Maybe there had been a free kick or something, because... For some reason, the, the defense was in complete disarray. And someone, there was some disagreement as to who this was. I think, like, Evran, who you will all know as listeners of the podcast, said that it was Tyler Boyd who kept his man onside that allowed Old John to slide past and, and have that sort of free run on goal. I actually thought it was... I, the, the person was blonde. I can say that. I had was debating whether it was Janer or Domingo Javita just because I assumed one of them would be the guy on the back line. But uh, I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts on this goal? I, I just think it was a well counter-attack, to be honest with you. I thought it was a very well A couple of nice passes. Then an unbelievable travail shot from old John Charlie, to be honest. Uh, there wasn't much we could do here. You, you know, you, it's... One of those things where we're, we're going forward and we get caught with not all about at the back and we're punished for it. Yeah, I felt that. I mean, like Khan was saying, you hope to get the goal first. You hope to score first. You hope you could kind of shut a side like this down. But at the end of the day, it's football and goals happen, right? Like, uh, if you put most professional footballers one on one against the keeper, they're probably going to score uh, somehow. And so, sure enough, it happened. But. Still, so we went into the half at that point, down a goal. But it didn't seem like we were out of the game by any stretch. And beyond that... Yeah, I've just, for the last minute or so, I've just been trying to make out if it's him. Because I was I was royally convinced that it wasn't him. Because I thought it, that, that Boyd was the one putting pressure on the ball. Um, but, I, you know, I just can't tell from the image... I don't think that's Boyd, though. That his hair looks too dark. Yeah, yeah I don't. I, I don't know. I it. Everyone's yeah, I latest. Uh, I don't know if he if he thinks Boyd is responsible for Quaresma leaving or something. But. So that's the vibe I got when uh, he was ha going off on him because I I actually thought Boyd was having a very good game um, and. Uh, he was very essential in the pressing game. I felt like he was always the first one to put pressure on the ball or one of the first guy. Obviously, that's his task as an attacker. Um, but I thought he was doing that very well. Uh, and just 
I'm sorry I didn't interject before because I was actually trying to watch that goal again and, and just trying to make out who it was keeping Oljan off on side. But regardless of who it was, that person was in the last man position and was kind of doing their job. So whether it's Vida, Jana or, or Boyd, I think what they were doing, yeah, I mean, if that's Boyd... You can't actually really blame him for keeping him on side because he's not a central defender. He's not a left back. Yeah, he's yeah. not a right back. His like, awareness, he's not his positional to be awareness there, yeah. of, of uh, an offside trap. Guys, do I watch the possession over? Yeah. So, Epinan is blaming Tyler Boyd here, but see at this point where th this counter attack's happened, it, normally Boyd's the only man back. So, do you expect him just to lie back and let him have the attack? Exactly. Of course, like, he's going to press the ball. Of course, he's going to press the ball. Well, I, I mean, like I think the, the, the mistake is, uh, is uh, responsible for that goal is absolutely ridiculous if you ask me. Well, the thing is, we're going to concede these types of goals from time to time. Exactly. And the thing with that is because it's Doma Goivida is really, we're, we're doing a lot of, we're doing an insane amount of pressing. And Vida is constantly going up to help out in the pressing. That's part of the tactic. Uh, and sometimes... The, the 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 midfielder or the attacker or whatever is going to be able to turn away, not lose the ball, and then play that perfect. This is the thing here. Uh, let's say we we won the ball. I don't know. Let's say twenty times in in that in that first half. It's probably a ridiculous amount of time more because we were our our ball recovery in that first half was so amazing. It was we were. Whenever we lost the ball, we got it back within 5.8 seconds. 5.8 seconds was the average. That is insane. That is like Dortmund level. That's like Barcelona level almost. Uh, you know, to re the, the because that's what we are aiming for: regaining the ball within five to ten seconds. Ten is probably a little bit late, but you know that's what 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 Barcelona and and such are trying to aim for, and that's what we were doing, obviously. Avci is a huge fan of, of Guardiola's style of play, so that's something he wanted to implement. We didn't see it yet in the previous matches, but here we really started seeing this. Yeah. And we um, started to see and, it in the second half against Gustavo. And, yeah, and this was the first, literally the only single time we didn't catch that ball back straight away almost. And they made the most of it. So you can blame whoever, you can scapegoat poor Tyler Boyd there. But yeah. maybe, maybe Rizespor deserve a little bit of an applause for exactly. an amazing yeah. counterattack. Exactly. Look what, like, what uh, Neil Depau is doing there. His The way he turns away and finds that pass. Yeah, that assist is brilliant. phenomenal. He does. And that finish, that finish, oh my god. If he doesn't do a Trivela there, that was an inch-perfect Trivela, by the way. I think Karius is going to save it. But because he does a Trivela, it bends around Karius and goes into the corner. And it's almost unsavable. Well, but that was a perfect finish from Old yeah. John. I have yeah, it on good source that he could be a potential Premier League talent someday, guys. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was my FIFA, no, that was my FIFA I, game. I was um, it's, absolutely, it's absolutely ridiculous to blame Tyler Boyd for that goal. No, yeah. Like, you can't... Yeah. So what? Is it going to leave him to go one-on-one? -on -one? You know what I mean? Of course he's going to come back and defend. No, it's... it's uh... <laughs> There's he's always doing his, he's sort of doing his fucking job. That's the, yeah, that's the thing. If Koreshma would have been that eager in defending against Sivaspor, maybe we wouldn't have lost 3 0. I have a, a a hot take here about like football fans in general, but especially like the more like the louder type. Um, everyone always needs to point their finger at someone, you know? And it's it's a really crap tendency because Sometimes, even if you don't quite know who to point the finger to, like finger at, you, you people feel this compulsion, like, oh, if I don't, 
if I don't single somebody out, like I, people are going to yeah. think I don't know what I'm talking about or something. It, you, you know what it is? It is, um, oh, you know what? If it wasn't for that guy, we would blah, blah, blah. But, you know, yeah. our team doesn't suck. It's just that one guy. Well, I'm sorry to break it to you. That one guy is part of your team. So if he makes a mistake that maybe, rub, you know. Exactly. Uh, Obviously, there's individual mistakes like like Medel's mistake against uh, against Sivaspor, which cost us a goal, and then obviously Quaresma's poor marking on, on you know because that's just that's a blatant mistake where Quaresma is just running towards the wrong person and is not keeping track of the fullback, which is his job in the system. That's a blatant mistake. There you can blame someone because he's not doing his job. Tyler Boyd there yeah. is just doing what he's being instructed. No, no, and I'm not saying that there's ne- like sometimes there's there's someone to point the blame. Matt, but I think that the yeah. negative compulsion is for those who maybe sometimes if you don't know who to blame, you don't just have to like sort of arbitrarily, like, oh, that's the last person I saw on the screen, so therefore I'm gonna, like, come on, just like it's okay yeah. sometimes to oh. say, I don't know, <laughs> you know, oh, like humility, goal, folks. Like, on, on this goal, the, the, the blame is that we didn't recover the ball within five or six seconds, <laughs> and okay. That can happen. Sometimes you just need to take a step back and appreciate the beauty of a goal, even the one that you concede. And this was an inch-perfect counter and a fantastic finish. It was an amazing goal. Did Rizespor deserve that to, to go up 1-0 in that first half? No, of course not. Besiktas were absolutely dominating them and playing them to shreds. And Gukan Akan had made several saves already and, and good saves. We should have always been up. We were very unlucky to be down at halftime. But does that mean that we have to start pointing our fingers at someone for... Yeah, I think that's ridiculous. Um, if oh. you're going to point your finger at anything, then point it at the team for not being able to com- convert their dominance into goals. That's the real issue. That's the issue. Not which the fact that we conceded stems one. stems from a very, a very, a, a, another very specific problem, which is maybe we don't have the personnel there. But anyway, before we do any of that, back to the match at hand. Speaking of how uh, pointing fingers is not so helpful, the, the sad thing that was done at the half uh, which supports those who were errantly finger-pointing, is that Tyler Boyd was taken out of the match. Or Nkudu, on the other hand, who I think many were happy to see, but perhaps uh, Boyd's pace and ability to, to, stick to you know, stick to the ball, even when he doesn't have it, you know, to, to come back and defend, uh, was lacking. But anyway, also Doug Douglas would come in and, and make his debut for Besiktas coming in for Ozan. So, of course, at this point, now we have Gokhan Gunul and Douglas playing at the same time. Uh, I'll hand it to one of you guys. I don't know. What is the what is the formation at this point coming you know, in the second half? So, it's, so see, now, it stays at 4 2 3 one Yeah. And what, what happens is that Douglas actually takes the place of Ozan Uziatub and plays in that, num- in that kind of number six role. Interesting. Is that is left at number eight. And uh, so you get Gukan still at right back, Vidan Ruiz at centre back, Janet at left back. So it's, uh, as I said, it's Douglas and uh, Dorkan in the midfield. On the right, you've got uh, Jeremy Lenz. In the middle, you've got Adam Diaz. On the left, you've got uh, George Kevin and Kudu. Then up front, you've got uh, Gurvani Alshin. Yeah, and I, and I will say that again, John Air was very present in the midfield. So mm-hmm. I think they were shifting like Khan and I talked about in the last episode again. Uh, and again, yeah, fairly effectively, because it's important to note that in the 53rd minute, just eight minutes into the second half, Doma Gojvida would score on an assist from Jenner Erkin. Granted, of course, it's on a 
set piece on a header, but uh, yeah. No, it wasn't from. It, it came after the corner, so it was oh, actually from okay. open play. Nice. Good open play. There you go. Yeah. But so yeah, John Air's presence uh, in the attack again coming into coming to fruition. Uh, but yeah, does, does someone want to describe that goal? Since apparently I've forgotten a little bit about it. <laughs> Khan, how about you? Tell us what happened there. I prefer uh, if Kachtal does that. I'm not great at describing goals sometimes. <laughs> the color commentary. Yeah, that's what these uh, these guests are for, right? <laughs> so Kartal, tell us a little bit about it. Gukan Gunun is actually in the middle in the midfield in this position here. Gukan Gunun is actually sitting in the middle. Spreads it to the left of where Jaya is Jaya takes a con one touch to control, crosses it in. Uh, Vida is in the middle and makes him perfectly for a head on the center of the bottom right corner. Very well worked play. Yeah, so there it is, and there, so Besiktas has equalized in the 53rd minute, just as the second half is underway. And of course, that would change the uh, the pace of the game and the, the directive. In a way, I, I joked that perhaps we'd scored a little too early, because we had so much momentum going into that goal. But uh, shortly after the goal was scored in the 56th minute, Dorokan would get himself a yellow card. In the 58th minute, Oh man, Moroziuk from Drizze got himself the other card. I always struggle with those names. Apologies to any uh, listeners from wherever he's from. <laughs> I don't even know where that is. Uh, in the 61st minute, Oldan would come out of the match, having scored a brilliant goal, as we've already said. Uh, and Zepovic would come in for Drizze. In the 67th minute, they'd make another sub. Wow, Moroziuk would come out. Oh yeah, he did got himself a yellow. Ovajikli would come in. Ljajic would get a yellow in the 74th minute. Anyway, I don't I don't think we need to go into this. One thing I will note is that Rebocho would come in for Germain Lenz in the 86th minute. So he would get his debut. Uh, and then he and Nkudu in the third minute of extra time would both get yellow cards. I think probably for complaining. But uh, so yeah, that is it for the match. It ended one no, 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 Nkudu got the yellow card for break, well, oh, breaking course. someone's yeah, ankles. He so. jumped on the guy. Well, well he didn't, he didn't like, really was not jump on the guy. He was going for the yeah. ball, but the guy tapped the ball away just before he could get there, and then he stepped on yeah, his no, ankle. I mean, I think um, it looked a lot... Like, I don't actually think the intent was at all for to, to step on the guy. No, there was no intent to hurt, but it was definitely a dangerous yeah, flagrant, tackle. Flagrantly um, dangerous. <laughs> Yeah, and, and the thing is, Nkudu should always have gotten sent off in this game. Not just, not there necessarily, but he did like something like yeah, a, like a that, minute, yeah. yeah, like a minute or two later, he like stepped on the heel of the goalkeeper when he was chasing down the ball uh, towards the corner flag, and the goalkeeper was like shielding it, you know, letting also it roll bad out. Timing, yeah, so and then he kind of like stepped into on his heel or something, and he should always have gotten the second yellow card there, I feel like. Yeah. Uh, the first one, uh, the first one, some people are saying that should have been, uh, you know, why was there no VAR there, you know, to give a red card? Because last week, for example, uh, Siri got a, uh, from Galatasaray got a, initially a yellow card, but then had uh, VAR interfere, and they turned it into a red card. So, obviously, Galatasaray fans were like, hey, why the hell did that not happened to Nukudu and I actually showed this uh, footage to someone who uh, is more uh, who knows a little bit more about these things and uh, the guidelines that the referees have and stuff so the difference was 
series leg last week was a little bit higher so that was really more on the shin this was like right on top of the ankle and basically what the guideline is for the refs is the higher the foot goes um you know the more risk for injury so uh even though that's not always necessarily true but i think you also need to keep in mind you know why is the foot that high exactly. you're taking a lot of unnecessary risk while here they're just both it going puts for a the lot ball more and question on intent when the foot is higher i guess right yeah, yeah. I mean, not not saying that this couldn't have been a red card because, like I said in football Turka this week, this could have always this could have uh, no, this could have definitely been a straight red. Um, but the reason VAR didn't interfere here is because when a referee gives a yellow card for these types of positions where the foot isn't high, uh, VAR will usually not step in because it's not a clear error on the referee's part. Whereas with Seri last week, his foot was higher. It wasn't necessarily like, I'm not saying it was like knee height or anything. It was like just a little bit higher, but that is enough for, to make it a clear error where that should have been a red card because he uh, took too much risk to endanger his opponent. Plus I also think honestly that that, yeah, that the ball was gone already a little bit. It goes to show you, right? The, the, the saying is true that football is in fact a game of inches. <laughs> yeah, but it just does highlight that Nagudu isn't the smartest uh, player in terms of uh, keeping his emotions in check because I do, did feel that after, because I, I actually thought he was really good up until that point. He was very lively and I actually watched uh, a summary of um, all his runs and the amount of runs he did from minute 45 up until that minute, like minute 93 or something, was impressive. Uh, and he did a lot of, he, he caused a lot of chaos uh, in, in Rizespor's defense. But then as soon as he got that yellow card, it felt like he was kind of shook. And uh, then he could have easily gotten sent off. So I think we should be happy he didn't. And uh, we are very lucky that he's not uh, uh, suspended for our next yeah. match. So he'll be available. Mm -hmm. Well, and so before we dive into the sort of, and we'll try to keep this brief because the episode is running on, but uh, into the highlights and lowlights and all that, just quickly I'll talk about the stats. Besiktas ended the match with 20 shots. Tadizay scores six, although only four on target to their two. Uh, that should, I mean, there were a number of shots that were not by definition on target, but that hit the post or were very close. So, uh, you know, that number isn't quite as dire as it looks there, but it, it, should be said, it should be said that we were very ineffective up front. So not that surprising. Possession went to Besiktas. 70%. Man, that really held up even to the end. 70% to 30%. So Besiktas was dominant on the ball. Yeah, I think in the first half it was even 90% or something. I know, or ridiculous. Three or something, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but so then also 624 passes completed to Jesus scores 269 with an 88% accuracy rate. So Besiktas, again, that system was really showing the ball was flying around the pitch. Effectively, accurately, quickly. Uh, Rize only completed their passes at a 66% clip. Uh, Besiktas committed 16 fouls, however, to their 10, which feels a little weird, honestly, in retrospect, but whatever. I, I think it's normal with our pressing game because we're yeah, working yeah, so hard yeah. to recover that ball really quickly. Obviously, there's going to be some be falls, especially. Yeah. yeah, not always. Yeah, and also just, you know, opposition players that are going to go down easily and get the falls. Sure. Um, that's going to happen. Who, who was the referee in this match? Um, 
Oh no, it was a Hadi Lutmeno or something. I'm not sure. It was a young one of the new guys. That's not so. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. No, but like for example, last week against Gustepe, you know, if 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 you have a ref like Ali Palabiuk who like literally, you know, gives a fall for everything, that would be really really detrimental when you play like this. We would not have Nkudu in our next match for sure. Yeah. Well, we probably shouldn't have anyway. So. Anyway, yeah, exactly. But so to follow up, uh, we had five yellow cards. Uh, they only had one, which is sort of commensurate to the amount of fouls, maybe. I mean, not quite, but whatever. Um, offsides, they committed five, and we only committed one. Last season, this was a theme that we were not getting offsides enough because that shows intent. Uh, and so, yeah, again, only one offsides. Yeah, but here I think it's more a case of we're pushing them back so much, uh, and they're getting of obviously they're getting some space and they're trying to counter. So it's a logical yeah, stats yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, true, true. Uh, and finally, Besiktas had eleven corners to their two. So that actually suggests exactly what you were just saying that we were near their back line quite a bit, and they are defending mm -hmm. near it as well. So that would mean less offsides. So, yeah, sure enough, that's it for stats. Um, anything to be said about those stats? Do you feel like those are a clear representation of what happened on the pitch? I think maybe so, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, most of the time. We dominated this game. It was just a, and I think the stats reflect that. It's just unfortunate they ended up in a draw. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, and it's something I would like to... Like to highlight, sorry to interrupt you there, but uh, remember against Sivaspor, remember watching that match, and remember yeah. how you felt about our passing, and compare mm -hmm. it to this match. Yeah, we had so many wrong passes in the Sivas match. We had so many wayward passes that went straight to the opponent. In this match, I felt like almost every pass was good. Yeah, it's and really, I we were sharp. It, it's so obvious. Ever yeah. since halftime of the match against Guztepe, we've looked like. A team that's starting to play with the I, system, you know? I actually have a graphic of all the passing accuracies of individual players. So I'm just quickly going to try and look that up if I can find it. But it was really impressive. Like the only player who had less than 80% was Guven. Hmm. He had like 78% or something. Guven was absolutely shocking. Yeah, yeah was, he had a really bad match, I, I think. Four. I mean, so let's, let's, like, this seems like a perfect segue to our high and low light. Uh, certainly, we've all, without saying it, have sort of skirted around this central fact that Guven Yalcin did not get it done and has not got it done since uh, we've kind of needed him to, to be honest, because Burak's been out. And um, now, uh, it's still not time to talk about the news. But again, now that we have another striker, We'll certainly not be seeing Guven Yeltsin up front. Although the would you like news, these? Would you like these statistics, by the way, for the passing accuracy of the players? Sure, Open but one account. second. Just put, yeah, the, now that we have this news, we can definitely... Uh, there, There is some other news that Barak Yilmaz might be returning for our next match. So No, Bashak Shahir. Oh, for Bashak Shahir. Okay. So the one after. For the, okay, we have good. a Ghazi Shahir first. All right, well, so we'll see some of our new transfer, who I'm not going to say anything about yet. So, Khan, before we move on officially, yeah, wrap us up on the stats with the... Uh, yeah. So, first, let's start with the goalkeeper, Karius. He only had five passes, but 100% accuracy. Hey. Uh, 
Ruiz had an impressive 89.9% accuracy of a total of 99 passes. He completed 89. Vida had a had an impressive 100% passing accuracy. Whoa. He completed 67 out of 67. Gukhan Gunul completed 76 out of 86. He had an uh, 80. 8.3% accuracy. Osan, before getting subbed off at halftime, had a 94.2% accuracy. He completed 33 out of 35 passes. Janner Erkin had a uh, slightly uh, one of the lower in the team, 84.1%, completed 69 out of 82 passes. Then Tyler Boyd, he was subbed off at halftime. He had an 87.5% accuracy, completed 14 out of 16 passes. Adam Leitch had a 92.6% accuracy, completed 38 out of 41. Dorokan Tokus completed 39 out of 50, so he was one of the lowest in the team with 78%. Hmm. Then Jermaine Lenz had 86% accuracy with 37 completed out of 43 attempts. And then Guven Yalcin had the absolute lowest in the team with 18 completed out of 25. He had 72%. Then from the players who came on, Nkuru had 17 completed out of 19 attempts on 89.4% passing accuracy. Douglas had 38 out of 43 completed, so he had an 88 0.3% accuracy. And then finally, uh, Pedro Rebocho completed 8 out of 9 attempts. Uh, so he was on 88.8%. So, except for Guven, who had an abysmal uh, passing uh, accuracy, 72%. Um, there was uh, yeah, Dorokan, uh, who had a lower percentage. But the rest of them all easily above 84%. Uh, a passing accuracy um, obviously there's gonna be with this type of football there's gonna be a lot of lateral passes that's just the way it is um, but plenty of, of risk being taken too with the passes I felt like so uh, yeah it was very impressive except we can see clearly where the weak, li the weak link lied in this match and that was given and uh, maybe uh, and maybe Dorokhan to, to a lesser extent. I, I didn't really particularly feel like Dorokhan had a poor game, but he was also not that f involved in, in attacks yeah. or anything like that, even though he was playing in a more offensive role, you especially in the first half. You don't want a guy to be ghosting in his position. So that's, you know, it's not good that all I really remember was a clumsy yellow card he earned. Uh, you know, you'd want something else there, <laughs> perhaps. Yeah, but I, I mean... Cartel, do you have any other additions as far as low lights go? Yeah, uh, not really. Other than Victor Ruiz, who I've not, I've always been a fan of. But I thought he's always every game he's played, he's been excellent for us. But I thought he could have potentially been sent off in this oh, game. Oh, the elbow! Yeah. It seemed like a, a bit of an elbow. Game. Yeah, nah, that was not an elbow. That was oh, a, nah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a great fan of it. I've been. I must say, I've been a great fan of Victor Ruiz. I thought, I think he's really the Marcelo replacement we've been looking for the last two years. But yeah, I thought he kind of, it, it did look a bit, it seemed like there was about as much as uh, intent there to me, at least. Uh, it, was a, it was very dumb of him. He lifted his arm and like the guy like ran into it, but it was not an elbow. It was like a forearm at best. And it was actually a VAR check for that. Um, but I guess it was outside of the yeah. box. 
because uh, nothing was nothing was given. They definitely didn't check for whether it was a red card or anything because then he would have gotten sent off. So I think the check was probably to see whether it was a penalty and the conclusion must have been that it was outside the box because otherwise they would have definitely yeah. called in the referee because there was yeah, a part check. It was check. outside of the box. Like the guy's legs were in the box but the contact was outside and then he fell back into the box to make it, to sell it. But yeah. So that's probably what they checked. So that would have been a penalty, uh, m m most likely, if it would have been in the box. But anyway, yeah, that was uh, definitely something you don't want to see from Victor Ruiz because uh, he's been uh, impressive in these three games. Um, he makes so many good interceptions, so many good uh, crucial tackles when I needed. Think he might. Um, like, he's if you been talk really about through the course of our three matches in totality. He's probably been our best performer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, definitely. One hundred percent. Just that just that one moment of yeah. uh being a uh to me. And I actually mentioned I actually mentioned this to uh to uh um the person I spoke to uh about uh, him, Alan Dodson, who is uh the um Manager, the blog manager of uh, Villarreal USA. Uh, we had a really fun conversation with Alan, really a uh, fun chap to speak to. And uh, I did mention this actually to him. And he did tell me that's not something he does too regularly. So uh, he's not really one for brain farts, generally speaking. But uh, yeah, you never know. You know, sometimes you're going to get something like that. But yeah, I mean, uh, content yeah. like that's always partially incidental. I mean, whatever. I'm not, I, I didn't really worry about that too much. Uh, but so, all right. That was easy. Um, highlights. Last little bit before we talk about a little news that's good. Or pressing. That was my highlight. That pressing. I I was at a wedding. Um, I took my iPad. There was free Wi-Fi there. It was at a, at, a, at a big hotel, fancy hotel. And there was free Wi-Fi there. I was like, oh, my God, I can actually watch the game. And it was just <laughs> at, at, at dinner. We were all sitting down for dinner. We had just had um the appetizers uh and i think the me main course was about to no actually the, the we just had our main course and the desserts were about to come oh that's no so good i was like yeah okay fuck the dessert i was <laughs> just watching on my ipad and i was watching the first half and i was actually sitting next to another guest who was turkish uh which was oh yeah they put the turks at the same table of course um Everything was, was a game day <laughs> i think he was a galtzrai fan though uh, uh anyway um so I was watching uh, the first half and I just, I was in awe. I have never, ever, ever seen us play like that. Like that pressing was so impressive. Just the way every single time we lost the ball, we bam, we went and got it back. And most of the time it was, a, we did it in a clean way too. Um, it was really, really fun to watch and impressive. And I just remember thinking to myself, there's no way we're going to lose this match. We have to win this. We're just too good. And then, of course, they fucking score on the first opportunity they get. Um, but I was, I, it doesn't happen a lot to me that I'm, I remember the last time I was like truly in awe was probably that goal we scored against Busaspor on the opening of Vodafone Park, the opening opening goal from uh, uh, from Mario. Remember that one that was perfect tiki-taka football? And yeah. I remember... 
And I remember in 2004 we were playing, uh, or in 2003 we were playing some amazing combination football that really impressed me. So it doesn't happen too often to me that I'm like in awe of the way we play. But th this first half definitely that that pressing that was something I, I, I gave me so much hope towards the future, and it really in, uh, gave me a lot of instilled a lot of confidence in in, in me in in Abdullah Afci and uh, his. Yeah, I, I just have so much faith in that it's going to not necessarily i'm not saying we're gonna win the title this year and stuff like that I, I actually don't think we are but i think we're gonna be watching a really fun team in a couple of weeks and down the road i think we're gonna be enjoying watching Besiktas in the future because of the players we've gotten and because of the type of football that we're trying to play and every week i'm seeing improvements and i think that's also why abdullah Avci was happy after the match despite the result he was very happy with what he saw and i i was i had the same feeling i didn't even read the the comments from Avci uh, after the match because I as soon as the match ended I turned it off and I didn't pay any more attention to it obviously but so it's not like he influenced me or anything but I felt the exact same way after the match I was happy because I can see light at the end of the tunnel and I didn't have that feeling last season yeah I mean it's hard to disagree I mean I I certainly agree um so my, my, my highlight of the game, it was, it's not any individual player on the park, Matt. Abdul Avji is my highlight of this game. Oh. Given the, yeah, so, given the, the manager some credit there. Yeah, I mean... I just, I just feel as if maybe the second half... Despite us winning the last week, I thought the, the, the first half of this game especially was the best fish crush I've seen so far this season. Despite it's not scoring, despite it's going in at the half, 1-0 down. I feel as if the, the first half of this game is the, is the best Besiktas I've seen all season so far. Well, and we warned you. I warned oh, you. Oh, very good. I warned you listeners to a pre-episode that we we're going to be positive here. And sure enough, we are coming through. Yeah, no, I I don't disagree with anything you guys. You guys are kind of um, piggybacking on each other because that's, you know, Khan says the tactics, you say the coach. <laughs> but no, sure enough, that those are all both good points, big positives for this match. Uh, I will try to pick out an individual who uh, really impressed me. Man, what am I doing? This is this is like a challenge. Who's yeah, that's the thing. I didn't I didn't really think anyone had a particularly good game. That's the funny thing because I think tactically, I I love what what, what we were seeing. But then when I was yeah. looking at the individual performances of players, I was I was rather disappointed with Lai. Yeah, I was gonna say Lai was trying to force. Yeah, he was trying to force too much. I think that had to do with the fact that we, he didn't really have anyone up front that he could trust in. I mean, but, it's weird yeah, to do two weeks in a row, because I just gave this guy the, the man of the match last time, but I guess it could be Janair, honestly. Yeah. Weird. Weird. He's been taking. He's been taking to uh, Abdullah Afshi's instructions clearly, yeah. and uh, he's been doing his part in, in. 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 And you know what the thing? The good thing about that is because what's what's the thing people criticize about Chaner? Defensive ability. His 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 defensive ability, right? And with this new tactic, he's kind of taken out of that equation a little well, bit. Well, yeah, and his versatility uh, is really. I think Afshi's system yeah. lends itself to his versatility. Yeah. The thing with with Chandler is that he, he's he's positionally a bad defender, but he's a very combative player. He's going to be able to recover the ball and stuff like that. So when he's in midfield, his defensive ability uh, is actually 
put put to use. Whereas it, at a left back, usually the problem there is that people that, that attackers manage to slip in 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 behind his back and stuff like that, where he's making positional errors. It's not like he's bad in duels or anything like that. That's never been Janus' issue. Yeah. Um, so I think what what right now what what Avci is doing is making best use of of Janus' qualities, and that's showing he's a quality player. That's why I I never agreed with people. Uh, completely him. and utterly butchering and bashing him um, because of, of, of that. We always knew his shortcomings and it's up to a manager to to make the best out of it. And, uh, you know, we, we blamed his Achilles uh, injury, which was probably a reason why he's gotten a step slower. I think that might be a reason why he's having a little bit more problem at left back at times against good opponents. But I don't know. So far this season, these two matches, I, I, I feel sorry for Pedro Rebocho, but if Jana keeps playing like this, you can't really put him put him next to the team anymore. I mean, it's fascinating, honestly, because like imagine having a coach who sees a player playing a certain way and reacts. Uh, and actually adapt <laughs> to to you know to his abilities. That's, we haven't seen this in a while. It's almost like uh, I think it's easy to to forget that it's, that's even a possibility. It's almost like he's managing the players, <laughs> exactly. you know. Yeah, uh, which is funny because he came in as the system coach. And I mean, one positive thing mm. here, of course, is that I think his philosophy does match John Ayer's style. But I mean, not even a hundred percent. Like I don't. I mean, whatever. I, I don't want to overanalyze it, but whatever it is. Yeah, no, I mean, I think uh, I don't necessarily think it does because this is something that Jenner has never exactly, done before. Yeah. He's I mean, he's shown versatility going him... in to attack, but that doesn't mean you're going to be a good like central midfielder. I mean, you know, we've seen him as a, as a left as a positive influence on the left wing at times, but then I mean, yeah, it's almost but, like but he's found course... his role. Uh... But you need to keep in mind that Abdullah Avci has been working with Jenner since Jenner was like 17 years old because he was his coach at the, the Turkey under 17 level. Uh, I think they won uh, the Euros in 2005 or something with that generation, if yeah, I'm not mistaken. Right. Um, and uh, and then, of course, he coached him uh, in, in 2011 when he was briefly Turkish uh Turkish national team coach for the main team. So he's been working with Janner for a long time. He knows Janner's qualities, so he knows how to use him. Uh, and he so far, he's been putting him uh, to good use. But the thing I do have to say with Pedro Rebocho, of course, he has similar qualities in, in, in the sense that he's a good crosser of the ball and stuff like that. So I can definitely see Rebocho um, fit into that same role. But I don't really know if, if we're still going to be playing with that false left back once you know one of our two new transfers is slotted in so this is again well done con a good segue and we can't keep you guys you euros up too late i think we're, we're coming upon the witching hour or whatever uh but yeah we do of course we, we would be remiss not to uh at least mention the fact that besiktas has struck some deals since we last spoke with you listeners uh who con you're you're the transfer man i think uh tell us who we've got who we've added to the woodwork here so of course uh we knew that we still desperately needed a six um i think that's something that kind of came to be uh, i most of us has have known that we needed that atiba replacement for a long time yeah 
Um, but it didn't seem like a top priority in the beginning of the window. I didn't have that impression that it was. Uh, but it slowly became a top priority as Atiba, of course, missed most of, most of the training camp. And then Gary Medell didn't really fit that role, which we all kind of already knew he wasn't going to anyway. Um, but so we did make a move for a, for a player in that role. And it's not necessarily a six, but we did see that with the type of profile of player we were going after anyway, that Afshi didn't want um, a typical six. With every position, um, he wanted more of it seems like. Yeah, he he wants he clearly wanted a ball playing six, kind of like Atiba is, by the way. So who did we get? Uh, drum roll, please. Yeah, insert here. The magic of post-production. Uh, we got uh, Mohamed El Nini on loan from Arsenal, and of course, um, I spoke with. Alex uh, Zessiger today about El Nini's time at FC Basel. So please listen to that episode. We'll drop this weekend. Um, but yeah, uh, El Nini is a player who's known for his passing accuracy, his passing ability. Not necessarily a man who can give that splitting true pass, but he's really good at switching uh, the play from one side to the other with a good long ball. Uh, he has a, just generally good passer. He's a hard worker. Uh, keeps running 90 minutes. Uh, I'm basically spoiling everything for the episode. It's going to stop doing that right now. But anyway, he's somebody who's going to slot into that place. I think uh, we did see early on that Olsen was playing as a six in the training camp uh, and that he was maybe going to try and play Olsen as a regista. But I think what he's going to end up doing now is put El Nenny at the six and then put uh, Leitch and Olsen in a central midfielder role where Leitch is probably going to go more to the left and Olsen's going to go more to the right. And we're going to play a more traditional four. 4-3-3 rather than the 4-2-1-1 uh, where we've been... You know what I'm saying. Um, so we're going to probably play an actual 4-3-3 now. Um, so that's Mohamed El Nini. He's going to come in. And of course... Well, hold on. First, I want to make a note uh, on a personal side about El Nini. Um, I have a, a very good friend who I've grown up with here in New York City. He's a huge Arsenal fan. And I mentioned this in the group chat recently, like, he's such a troll of mine, personally, that he actually had a friend in Turkey, and, he, and his friend was like, oh, can I get you anything? And he actually requested a Fener shirt, just to troll me, because he knows I like Besiktas and that I hate Fenerbahce. So, but so, the only thing I heard from him after the Elneny deal was, oh, this is a good move for you guys. And I was literally, like, waiting for the punchline, like, with bated breath, like, oh, no, here it comes. Because he's such a troll, you know, but, uh, you know, so it, even among Arsenal fans, I think there's a sense that it's not like he was a terrible player or a flop. It's just they had a lot of positional depth yeah. and, and uh, a lot of other guys competing for time. You know, the, the age, right? He's not like, he didn't really he's not young enough to be a to prospect. But... Yeah, yeah, but, you know, he's not really young enough to be a prospect, but, you know, he never... The sense I've gotten is that it's not like he went out and threw a bunch of stinkers out there for them. Like, he didn't play I, terribly. I, I think he played 90 games or something in three and a half years, so that's definitely not bad. I might be wrong on that stat, so uh, you can check me on that because I is didn't. It's better than Nkudo. Better than Nkudo, yeah. No, 90 games is quite a lot, so I was actually oh, right. surprised by that. So I'm not sure if that's uh, if that's accurate, actually. So please do check me on that. Uh, I, I can't be bothered right now to open my uh, my uh, my browser. But um, no, I think it's a good guess for us. Uh, initially, I was thinking, hmm, you know what? He's not really a six. He's more an eight. Um, no, but then I... Sorry. 
sorry. Yeah. That was so uh, rude. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that'll all be discussed in in, in, in the transfer episode. One but little question I have which... about the OTB, the option to buy. It was oh, it's completely unrealistic, right? Like. Uh, supposedly 18 million which is completely unrealistic but if that's true and i don't know if it is uh, i i can only imagine that arsenal have something like they have so much faith in the guy that he's gonna have a good season with us that they don't want to let him go on the cheap now yeah so we can still uh, so negotiate I, a, it down in theory right if he well, that's the thing. I mean, let's say he has a good season with us, then maybe his market increases and there might be clubs coming in. I don't think anyone's going to pay 18 million, but maybe a club will come in with a 10 million or an 11 million offer. Um, and, you know, and that's, I think, why they didn't want to, like, for example, commit to a 7 million option to buy or something. Because it's basically, I believe they paid 7 million pounds for him themselves. Yeah. So Eight, I think. If, if the 18 million option to buy is accurate, because I've only seen that uh, mentioned by a couple of sources, um, not necessarily the most trustworthy ones. So I don't know. But if it's true, I can just I, I just think that's a good sign because that means Arsenal probably have faith in the fact that he'll perform well and that there will be a market next summer for him. But I think they're always going to want to offload him at some point. Yeah, so, and it almost uh, like I, I feel it gave me shades of Kagawa. And I don't even mean that in an inherently negative way. I just mean... Perhaps it's also a kind of like, we're not going to lock you into this club so he can get a sense of how much he, if, if El Nani loves playing for Besiktas, you know, maybe then he can say, guys, could you lower that asking price? Well, I don't know. Arsenal are a club owned by Americans, if I'm not mistaken. And I think those guys are pretty much out to make as a buck. So, uh, well, it's only half owners. Yeah. Anyway, um, let's move I'm on. Sure there's, a, there's another segment here. Um, well, how about Kartal? We haven't heard from you in a bit. Why don't you tell us the guy's name, or at the very least, you know, or, or give us your quick first impressions before Khan, I think, probably takes over again. But uh, we do have a striker slash winger, which isn't so bad, actually. Uh, again, flexibility, that seems to be the key for Abdul Avji. Uh, but so, who am I talking about? We got the drum roll again, Kartal. It's good. saying Abdullah Diari from a Sporting Lisbon on a one-year yeah. loan with an option to buy worth uh, 5 million euros. Uh, he's, uh, he's, he stands at 1m73. He's a, he's a right winger slash striker. I feel as if it, I can understand the move because I feel as if we, maybe we did have that need for a, a right winger after uh, Quaresma's departure to Kusabusha. Yeah. But at the same time, I feel as if we had... If we're going to buy a striker to be a sub, we had to be another pivot striker. So with a bit of height, a bit of strength, they could hold up the ball. So it feels like that's where it suits us the best. But. Yeah, but but look at how we played against Rizespor. How many high balls did we play up uh, up top? Very few. Yeah, so I don't really think we need height up top, necessarily. I think that doesn't really matter. Yeah, I mean, Abdullah Abchi's always kind of had a... Had the ball on the ground, right? Mostly. Yeah. Avchi played with Adebayor at Bashakshir, which is more the target man type, but he also played with Robinho up top at, at Bashakshir. So he. I was surprised how, how often he didn't rely on Adebayor even. So. In the first season, when he first came, he was really good and he relied on him heavily. And before that, he relied on Mehmet Batal, mm -hmm. uh, which was a, a, a typical. Uh, target man type, but then you know when 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 Robinho came, he often used Robinho in the striker role. Um, so and his his game style can revolve around having a good target man, but it can also revolve around having okay, a. Dip so, do you know what feels that when he started using Robinho in that number number nine? Know is when it started going wrong. Yeah, but that wasn't the reason for that. 
Because and that wasn't that wasn't when that that started because he was using Robinho at the beginning of the season already and uh, because Adebayor wasn't fit I think and didn't play all that much, so uh, you also need to keep in mind that it, yeah maybe it went down in the second half of the season uh, with Robinho in that place but that ship had already sailed a whole whole while at, at a decent pace with that tactic too so but so i think it's very important for everyone to remember that we do have buraki Yamaz as the first option up front he's maybe gonna be a little bit less reliable as far as playing time this year coming in with injuries and all that and you know, he has a track record but with that said so when you're getting diaby having a guy who has that flexibility where he can play the wing it, it's never bad right it, Given that yeah. he could often play maybe alongside, and, and if you remember, we we that was the profile of striker we were looking for in the beginning of the transfer yeah. window. That's also one of the reasons that people were talking about Abubakar because he can play on the wing too. Even though I don't necessarily think that's yeah. and even Guven, people were really like, well, Guven can also play on the wing, which I also disagree with for the most part. But mm. yeah, you know, so that that's yeah. uh, again flexibility, definitely a key a key word this summer. But it, it's not a bad concept, especially when you're talking about kind of squad depth, you know, guys who could come in later in a match and in more than one position. It's never, never bad. Yeah. Plus, it's a, it's a low risk move in the sense that we're not paying a loan fee. We're only paying his wages. Uh, we have that option to buy, not which so five million if he does really well. For a striker, a realist, a great, I think it's realistic yeah. enough. Yeah, I mean, he didn't. Obviously, he didn't have a great time at, at Lisbon, but he played in in Belgium for for uh, two years or so, and he was really, really good at Brugge. He scored a lot of goals yeah, exactly. there, um, and and he was a good finisher of the ball. So I I don't know. I I think it's a good move. I don't know why people are so down on it. I think it's just the the, the typical. Well, you know, his last club. Uh, the fans of his last club aren't talking too well about him, but you know, I like again, you know, stay tuned for our transfer episode, and uh, you'll get the lowdown on on Diaby and how people I think in Belgium. Thing, I mean, more about that transfer is that people often oh, about Bashuai, Bashuai. Soon they start talking about Bashuai, and then Diaby comes. Obviously, there's going to there's going to be a, 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 a disappointment there. Bacuai was a pipe dream, you know. I mean, that's one of those things. Like, if we could have gotten Bacuai, obviously, that yeah. would have been amazing. But then again, you don't have the versatility with Bacuai. Bacuai is not a player that you're going to put on the wings, is it? And then the thing, what what were you going to do then when Burak is fit? Are you going to put Bacuai on the bench then? Yes. See, for me, is it when the press start talking about a marquee name and then when someone comes who isn't a marquee name, uh, when, that, when that happens instead, obviously... Yeah, I yeah. think it's quite natural for the disappointment to be there. Yeah, but clear. But yeah, not rational. Think, you know what the thing is? The, <laughs> the problem is that people, our fans are looking. It's always going to happen, you know. The problem is our fans are looking at what Fenerbahce and Galtry, and to a larger yeah. extent, Galtry are doing, and they're envious. But if you look at, if you look at pure rationally and, and objectively at the transfers we made, they're all low costs. Yeah. You know, the highest wage I think we gave this summer is 1.8 million for. And he's Pico also the oldest among months. them. The most none, no, none of the other players yeah, are, are, are thirty. And, and the most and the yeah, most. And none of the other players are so even thirty. I, I, I yet. And so we've actually added a, a theme on this podcast is this core that we started developing by bringing in guys like Liayic and Karius yeah. who are in their sort of mid to late twenties. So we've yeah. added to that. And, and look at the wages. Look at the wages Galtry are paying the players they signed. Look at the wages even Fenerbahce are paying the players they signed. 
We are building a team. We are building a team around a specific idea. We are getting players with that in mind. We aren't just buying players to buy players. We aren't just signing big names to sign big names. We are actually going after profiles. We are looking to fit in the puzzle pieces in a, a certain system the coach wants to play. And you know, our fans have been criticizing the board for not buying Channel Gunesh the players he wanted and the players he needed. Back then we were under very serious financial fair play restraints. The same restraints for Erbachan Galtzray are under right now, which is probably why they are forced to go after certain players that are free but have high wage costs and high signing bonuses, but financial fair play apparently doesn't really, you know, they, like they only loophole. care whether you're, yeah, it's, it's uh, I guess you can barely call it a loophole. It's, it's, it's completely counterintuitive because you're damaging the future longevity yeah, of your club by giving out these, these huge wages because it's just gonna, that's just putting the problem further down the road and, and you're committing yourself long-term to, to high wage bills. I think it's better to pay a high, it's better to play five million euros for an Nkudu who earns 1.6 million a year, I think, who's only 20 uh, and who's 24, 26. 25 years old, than to pay than to pay nine million euros over three years to a 33-year-old uh, Ryan Bauer. I have to say, I, you know? I and perhaps you know this has been a very positive episode, so it's kind of continuing in that vein. But uh, I am not in any way envious of our rivals' uh, transfers. You know that. Gustavo, Luis Gustavo, and Max Cruz for Fener, and obviously Falcao now, and the like for Galatasaray. Oh, Cruz is a fantastic player. I no, good players, him, but good I wouldn't players, know where sure. to fit him I'm in. I'm not at all yeah. envious of his like big names, which come with giant fees, because I think you know the notion of this financial fair play. You can find yeah. these loopholes and all that stuff, but the the logic of them is still sound. Like if you can find a way to create like a healthy ecosystem financially where the club is producing talent and selling like you you, you any club to be truly successful long term with real longevity mm -hmm. consistency is going to be working in all on all channels right developing players to sell bringing in yeah. good new players you know maybe the occasional older player with a, with a name it fits yeah, you need some experience, and I think that's what, what the, the good thing is that Fenerbahce kind of have that have a somewhat a healthy, a healthy yeah, mix. I feel like because they have Erdi Cariolo, who's really talented and getting chances and doing well, and they have that movie, which is like 25, so he definitely still has long-term value. Then they also have you know the experienced guys like Cruza, like like Emre Belzoglu, are probably on their final contracts but maybe cruz not yet but i mean but that, that, that's okay but if you look at them for example god's squad the only two players that really have proper sell-on value towards the future are the two center backs marcao and luin dama you could argue figuli and belhanda they're only in their early 30s or belhanda might still be 29 but yeah, I mean, if you look at the rest of that team, uh, from what they actually own, because of course they don't own Michael Seri, they don't own Nemina, they're never gonna own them because they have ridiculous buyout clauses of 18 million too. And now they're gonna be competing for time and like, yeah. Yeah, and and the rest of the players that they actually own is what well, Adam Buke, because they're never gonna get money for him. Uh, Ryan Babel, they're unlikely to get money. Well, they might, but they're unlikely to get uh, money for him. I love that Adam Buke, who like started my my whole shit list in the beginning. I actually it was part of this this window that we're criticizing. It's kind of a little like icing on the cake. Oh, I'm not saying it's a bad signing, but no, if no, you yeah. look at what they the, the players they signed, they're all 30 plus except for Emre Mor and, and then of course the guy well and those are guys they loaned 
too. But they've just, I think what we're doing is, is better. There's, there's a vision behind it. We're not just getting a big name and spending ridiculous amounts of money. Now, obviously, would, would, would we want someone like Falcao at Besiktas? Obviously, sure. Yeah, he's an amazing player. But at the same not time, price, he's, he's had a lot of injuries. He's had, uh, and he's 33, going on 34 now. He, from what I've been told by experts on the French league, starting to show some signs of slowing down. And then you're going to pay him a guaranteed wage of five million plus. He's probably going to be making plus, yeah, ridiculous amounts of bonuses, which is probably going to add up to seven and a half million a year. And that's not that's without winning trophies. You know, if he wins a trophy, then that's an automatical a uh, couple hundred thousand more. Maybe you're, you're obviously when you're pay, if you win the league, that's worth it because you get Champions League money. But let's say they don't win the league, then I don't know what's going to happen. And that's obviously moves that fans are going to be envious of. But we need to remember what happened to us when we signed Pepe and did not win the league. I mean. Forget Pepe. Remember C. Mouse, Abrosa, and that, that crazy. Like but, we are, that, we're we're still we're literally we, like, bird like digging our way out of this just crappy sinkhole it's, that was created it's about in that having, era. You were watching Galatasaray yeah. make the mistake we made in the Demi Rodan era, as if they haven't been doing it like as well the whole time. <laughs> yeah, but it's about having a sustainable wage bill that won't bring you in massive trouble if you miss Champions League football. And obviously when you're playing Champions League football you can invest a little bit more. I'm not saying you can't. You know, I'm not saying you can't I mean, you get have a player. To, right? Actually. <laughs> yeah. I mean you have to invest you have to invest seven but you and have, half million for one but, guy. But in a, in, in a league where there's only one guaranteed Champions League ticket, you should I think that's a massive gamble that's yeah, I don't know. I mean, if you're financially healthy, go for it. But we all know that's not the case with any of the top clubs in Turkey right now. And uh, yeah, anyway, I think if you look at our transfers, every single one of them, we haven't signed a single surplus player. We haven't signed a single Mehmet Agün type. You know, all the players we signed, all seven transfers, uh, seven, right? Uh, all seven, yeah, seven. are potential starters and, and potential building blocks for that core yeah. we're building out the core no yeah. i love it i love i love almost every move and those i don't love i like you know or i can find a reason to anyway so mm-hmm. i don't i i promised a positive episode and you won't be disappointed if that's what you needed in your life uh but let's close this thing out because you guys got to go to bed it's late we got to get this episode up for these Wonderful listeners of ours. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, okay, quickly, before we do that, as I said, uh, of course, we're not going to be playing this coming week. So We should tuned. still talk about the departures, Sinan. Two yeah. big departures. Oh, my gosh. Maybe, maybe, maybe the biggest departure of all time, the other Nukata Quadration. Huge. We need to talk about that. It is a yeah. big one. Um, well, so I, yeah, I was gonna mention the news that we have a friendly scheduled for the seventh uh, this week. That's not Umranie. We're playing Umranie for those who are just craving uh, football, best touch football. We just touch on Quaresma before we touch on that. I think that's yeah. A, I mean, I don't. That's all I was gonna say. That's it. We're playing Umranie this weekend. If you need any football, uh, and Gazi Sheher on the fifteenth. But that's you know, stay tuned. 
But before we uh, sign out, yeah, quickly, we should definitely mention a couple guys have left the squad. Khan, uh, you go first. Yeah, Gary Medell joined Bologna in Serie A for a transfer fee of 1.25 million, so guaranteed. And then there's an additional bonus of 250,000, uh, I think, if they manage to avoid relegation. So that's a 1.5 million, hopefully, for Besiktas for an aging player on a high wage, 2.3 million a year. Medell was on. And obviously, I think we all love Medell as a utility player in the squad, but he was just earning way too much money. Yeah. Um, and it was a, a good way to part ways with him uh he had a send-off the, the went to say goodbye to the team uh and he left on on very good terms so that's photo. always great always great to see ricardo quaresma is the other one that left uh that was a little bit more messy unfortunately yeah. um yeah but uh at the end of the day again uh something that needed to be done i think uh he joined custom pasha so those of you who are huge Ricardo Quaresma fans can still watch and enjoy him playing for Kassim Pasha. He actually already made his debut on the weekend, played 45 minutes for them uh, and had a decent uh, showing, although they did lose 1-0 um, at home. But uh, yeah, no, Quaresma, another big wage of the wage bill. So two big wages of the wage bill. And we, of course, got in uh, Diaby and, uh, and El Neni to replace those wages with lower wages. Yeah, um, we've dropped the so, wage yeah. bill by like 30%, I think. So. Yeah, yeah, then uh, well, this year is 30, uh, 30 million this year, which is very good. Yeah. That's exactly, I think, Fikre Thorman actually said last year that we want to bring the wage bill down to 30 million for next season. He's done that, so. They worked within their limitations, and I think, yeah, I think there's so much criticism on this window, and I, I think all of it is irrational and unfair. I think this was maybe the best window ever we're gonna get a couple of, results and these people yeah. will change their tune take my yeah, word I mean, you need to look at the budget you need to look at the average quality of players we got and then you need to look at what we needed i think we filled every single position we needed filling obviously we could have done with one or two more transfers for squad depth but i think in terms of urgent needs we filled every position i think people are just a little bit disillusioned because the striker we ended up getting is uh, small yeah a little <laughs> little guy I, yeah i think if this guy was like one meter 85 people would be oh it's great yeah right you know it's always some superficial nonsense that everyone's getting men worried and their, about. Men, men and their obsessions with links. It's all about girth. <laughs> it's all about what they're doing on the pitch, guys. Um, it's all about what you use it for, exactly. <laughs> uh, but so, all right. Stay tuned. We'll be back with the usually scheduled post-match reviews and all that against for, for the match against Gaza Shehir, where we're going to be on the road. Going to travel all the way out to the east of Turkey. Uh, that's going to be on the 15th. There's still no time announced. Um, again, the friendly is going to be a little earlier for those of you who are craving Vestas football. That'll be against Umrania. Uh, again, before Burak's return against Besiktas, we're going to have a, our first Europa League game that's on the 19th after the Gazi Sheher match. So if Diaby is the, the, the option for striker in the meanwhile, he'll get two matches before Burak's return against Besiktas, against Gazi Sheher, and Slovan Bratislava. Um, two matches that should theoretically be good uh, chances for Diaby to get his feet wet, maybe score a goal, get some confidence going. But uh, yeah, 
take us out, Khan. So, um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Make sure to check out our episode on the weekend on the transfers and then early next week on our Europa League group stage preview for our opponents Braga, Wolverhampton and Slovan Bratislava. Uh, interviews are either already recorded or lined up for those. So those that episode will drop soon. And check out Football Ala Turka if you're interested in other Turkish clubs in Europe. I'll be doing a preview for Trabzonspor's group. They're up against FC Basel, Getafe and Krasnodar. Very tough group very interesting group four teams are very much matched in terms of quality i believe uh, and then bashakshir are in a group with as roma borussia munchen gladbach and uh, the wolfsburger from austria so not wolfsburg from germany but wolfsburger from austria and then of course galtzrai are in the champions league with Paris Saint-Germain, Real Madrid and Club Brugge. So that's going to be fun, fun, fun. Those episodes will be up also in the near future on Football Alatraca. So please do check those out. That's it for me. Uh, Kartal, thank you very much for joining us. And we'll hope to have you on again soon. Maybe in a Quaresma episode. And of course, we need to have everyone on yeah. too. Sinan, thank you very much. And take us out. Go, Pesitans! Let's go! Besiktas International hopes you enjoyed this program.